There was plenty of cool tech on display at the Wild West Hackenfest in South Dakota. And in this episode, we'll look at the coolest things we found walking around the show floor on this episode of the IT Pro TV podcast, starting right now. Hello and welcome to the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. I'm joined, as always, by Don Pazette. Don, how are you doing? I am doing great. And we've got some more to talk about from the Wild West Hackenfest, <laughs> where uh, Don spent uh, a few days. Uh, could have been longer uh, if travel plans had actually worked out, but up in Deadwood, South Dakota, in the uh, beautiful Black Hills. And But I, they were white, right? Were they it snow? Uh, you know, there was snow. Actually, got a little, was a little bit, bit of snow, but mostly it's green. The white-capped Black green. Hills of South Dakota. <laughs> well, anyway, in, in past episodes of the podcast, we've talked about kind of just a recap of the, the different content that they were able to see with some of the speakers. And then last time we talked about some of the hands-on labs where they could actually kind of get their hands dirty with uh, trying to hack, you know, Internet of Things, a smart house, you know, that, those kind of things. This time we want to talk about some of the cool tech that you found uh, talking to some of the vendors and talking to some of the speakers. So, uh First of all, let, let's let's chat about uh, what what you saw that was cool. Yeah, you know, the technology side is always really interesting at these conferences. And one of the things they tried to do with at Black Hills is to make this where it was not just hacking in one particular context, so it was hacking of anything. And and so there was IoT stuff and automotive and and big data and so on. So as I talked to people, I really got a chance to see some pretty cool stuff. And the the first one that I want to talk about uh, is one that. I think it, we all saw the news that was saying, well, let me, let me set a context for this, right? Net neutrality. Now, we could do a whole podcast on net neutrality, but the, the FCC put out a request for comments on net neutrality, and they said, hey, if you like it or if you hate it, send us a letter and let us know. And they got millions of responses from the public all saying, we hate net neutrality. Net neutrality sucks. We want to pay more for Internet, which seems weird, right? So there were a lot of news articles that were going on where they were saying, look, people have analyzed the data, and they found that it was bots. It was automated traffic. It was all fake, all these fake. And if you take the fake stuff out, people overwhelmingly loved net neutrality and wanted to keep it, right? So, so there was obviously bot activity. But what the articles didn't really get into was how did they do that? How, how did they look at the data to figure out they were bots? And Gravela was there presenting some, uh, some of their, their software that they developed it's, called Gravel. It makes it easy to remember. Uh, but <laughs> they did that. They, they actually have a data engineer, Leah, who was able to, to look at that data and see what was going on. And so I had a really interesting conversation with them. Very cool stuff because of all the things we can do. You know, we harvest so much data and then don't know what to do with it. And, and these guys actually give you the tools to go in and, and make sense out of the madness. Was this a talk that they gave or is just something they talked about in their booth? Uh, they just talked about it in their booth, okay. and it was really interesting because they, you know, they they were collecting data uh, even right there at the conference, and they just happened to be right next to the wireless hacking challenge, and so they were harvesting data from the hacking challenge and reporting back on it. So it was really cool. It just kind of coincidentally worked out that way. Uh, but they were just showing off their product. It's, it's brand new and it's kind of in beta right now, uh, but they're looking for people to try it. So you're definitely something worth looking into. Yeah, and let's go ahead and jump over to that because uh, I, I don't want to talk about it too much and kind of ruin the surprise and give away the ending to it. But uh, let's let's take a look at that video from Gravwell, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our live coverage coming at you from the Wild West Hackenfest in Deadwood, South Dakota. I'm Don Pizzette, and you know, we've had a chance to talk to a lot of great people here, and uh, I happened to swing by the Gravwell booth where I got a chance to see uh, a neat new product, and so I got a chance to, to wrap in their co-founder. I've got Corey and, and Leah here with me to tell us a little bit about it, and before I... Before I get ahead of myself, why don't you guys introduce yourself to our viewers, kind of tell them who you are and maybe a little bit about your company. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Corey Thune. Um, I am the founder, co-founder of Gravwell. Uh, we, I, I've got a history in InfoSec doing consulting. Uh, I worked for IOActive for a while, uh, Digital Bond, doing some critical infrastructure stuff. Uh, and in looking through it, I uh, broke a lot of things. <laughs> And in doing so, uh, kind of realized uh, some of the areas that we can improve on to help uh, make sure that we can defend against some of these attacks. And so now I'm sort of switching over to the product side, trying to build this tool out. And so Gravwell has been, it started as a side project, worked into a part-time thing, and now we're full-time as of this year, uh, picking up employees and, and starting to grow. And that's been, uh, that's been really great. Awesome. And Leah, how about you? Um, Leah Figueroa, I'm the uh, lead data engineer for Gravwell. Um, I've worked in higher education and data analytics for 13, 14 years, and they were looking for someone who could do data. And I saw the product, and I got to play with it before uh, it was released, and I really enjoyed it. It's an amazing tool and um, answered a lot of questions. Uh, one of the big things is a lot of tools don't let you do exploratory data analysis from raw data, um, which hamstrings a lot of efforts to find out what you're looking for, especially sometimes you go into a problem you don't know what you're supposed to be asking. And so then you end up backtracking and spending so much time trying to get the data set correct so you can look at that. And with Gravel, you can just dive into raw data and go, which shaves hours off of your time. So let, let's talk a little bit about data analytics because I know the, the internet is a powerful tool and there's so much information out yeah. there and people are collecting that information, but it's so much that it's hard to make good use out of it, to see relevant patterns and actually get actionable information out of that data set. And you guys put out a blog post a, a few weeks ago about uh, some of, of what the FCC is going through with, with data overload and you've actually been able to make some sense out of that. Can you tell me a little bit about that blog post? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we actually scraped the FCC uh, net neutrality site through the API and we're able to pull down all of the 22, approximately 22 million comments um, that were publicly available and then we ingested them into Gravel and started playing with the data. And one of the things we were interested in, a lot of people have been saying that there's a lot of bots and they have had, you know, access to things that someone, you know, on the outside might not have access to. Um, and so we wanted to look at it, the data set ourselves and see what we could do with just our tool with no extra access, access that anyone could get. Um, and so we started playing with it and we were able to find uh, bulk submissions, which is through a special API that the FCC apparently created just for net neutrality. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah you, they have bulk submission comments that you can yeah. do. So. We were able to identify those, and so we pulled those out because we wanted to look at the API usage. Um, and so there's, uh, I don't know if you've seen the FCC net neutrality site with the API, and so we started looking, investigating that, and using Gravel to kind of sort through the data and see what was going on. And you can identify, if you've ever worked in, in data with humans, you can identify these patterns of behavior based on timestamps. And so FCC is based in the US, so you could, you have about a four hour time span where you know there's a range of activity so you have when people wake up and when people go to bed and so you'll see this naturally rising and falling currents and then we decided to identify patterns where there were submissions huge submissions of spikes of 500,000 comments that 
didn't follow any human pattern and didn't correlate to any events that would suggest, so like the Take Back the Internet Day, um, John Oliver's uh, cry for help, none of these correlated to it, so we started digging and using Gravel to pull out even further. We were able to identify the top comments, the top domains for emails, where the comments were from, and we were able to actually extract organic versus non-organic comics and see where they lay, and approximately 75% of the bots were anti-net neutrality? Uh, yeah, that was the interesting part. Yeah. So we're really trying to figure out, um, like we use the term organic comment, yeah. uh, as Leah mentioned. So when when the FCC webpage is where you're supposed to, as a concerned citizen, go and submit your yeah. opinion about whether they're supposed to do a certain thing or not. Um, and so uh, we wanted to try and say, what, what's the most pure form of somebody submitting their opinion? Because they do support bulk submissions, they do yeah. support some other stuff. And we wanted to say, if somebody's actually going to the website, they fill out their information, they say, yes, I'm John Smith, and I really think this, they, they, they have a unique text, that's sort of the most pure yeah. form of comment that we could find. And so we, we sort of extracted out the noise, uh, the bots, the bulk submissions, that kind of a thing, and got down to that, and then, the, and then tried to classify that based on their standing. Yes. And they, uh, what was interesting is when you cut all that away and you go to the pure form, then it's about 90% in favor of net neutrality regulation. But when you add in the bulk submissions and everything else, it's actually about 70% the other way. Yeah, I, I remember when this data first came out and, and you know, people, according to FCC, people overwhelmingly didn't want net neutrality. And I thought that is such a unintuitive thing that, yeah. that to say I would, I would rather ISPs be able to charge me more for access to different resources. That, that just didn't seem right. But as a, as a regular person, I have no way to validate that. I didn't necessarily have access to that data set, and even if I did, to be able to process it. So that's where you guys come in. So you've mentioned Gravwell already, that you were able to look in and dig into that data. T tell me a little bit about Gravwell itself. Sure, yeah. Uh, so my, my background, as I mentioned, was in computer security. Leia comes from a pure data background. And obviously, the FCC comments are not security related. They're just, it's just data. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of... Um, important because that was how we built the tool in the beginning. As, as Leia hinted in the initial uh, discussion, we really wanted you to not have to know what you needed to know beforehand. Uh, being able to discover and find out the questions that you need to ask is a huge thing uh, when it comes down to hunting uh, threats if you've got uh, potential breaches or something like that in your security and you need to get down to the actual underlying ground truth data and sort through that, that's really where the tool comes into play because we were, uh, sort of the genesis was we were in an environment uh, doing some research, standing up hundreds of thousands of Android devices and watching malware propagate and collecting all the logs and, and a, just a ton of data and trying to be able to sort through that and figure out how things were working was sort of tough when we were exploring with the other tools. Uh, so like any uh, engineers, my co-founder and I are like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, uh, but unlike any other engineer, we were maybe foolish enough to try it uh, back, in the, back in the day. Didn't realize how big the elephant was when we started taking bites of it. Um, but that was uh, about three years ago, and we've made a lot of great progress since. And now we're, we're here uh, uh, sort of soft releasing, um, closed betaing for people who are, are at Wild West Hacking Fest and want to try it out. Um, the tool on site here has been great because uh, we, we got our table and we're right next to a wireless uh, challenge uh, village, which I believe you interviewed those those gentlemen. Uh, and that's a really cool thing that's going on. But we sat down next to them and the, 
the strength of our flexibility in being able to analyze any kind of data, we sat down and, and we hadn't really done much Wi-Fi analysis actually uh, before and none of our customers were really super interested in that uh, so far. But we sat down and we said, hey, uh, can we borrow a couple antennas? They, you know, they gave us uh, three different antennas. We, we started ingesting all the Wi-Fi stuff and sort of built them up uh, some analytic scoreboards to say, uh, you know, what's going on, how many access points are there, who's associating to who. One of the things that you're not supposed to do in the Wi-Fi challenge is send uh, deauthentication packets, which is part of a technique for for getting Wi-Fi to give you more information but they set up but it also prevents other people from using it so so they set it up so that you didn't need to do deauth uh, but uh, so we, we made a wall of shame uh, <laughs> analytics where anybody who sends a deauth packet gets thrown up on the you know our, our board just to say you know knock it off uh, you don't need to do that very cool now let, let me let me kind of see how this would fit for a real world example. So let, let's say I work for a company and I'm I'm blue teaming. I'm in charge of defense and I've got a maybe I have a seam in place like Splunk yep. that's already harvesting data. Uh, are you able to hook into that data I've already got, or am I flowing data directly to Gravwell? Yeah. Um, so uh, both actually. So we uh, there's sort of two ways that, that the problem is approached right now in the sim slash data analytics market. You've got things that are based sort of on Elk or Hadoop or like a MapReduce type setup, and then you've got the Splunk approach. And sort of nobody else is doing anything like how Splunk approaches the problem. But actually, based on the problems that we were initially trying to solve, that we looked at it and we said somebody else needs to come at it from this angle. And so we approached the problem with uh, with that data agnostic. Uh, we don't do any indexing when the data comes in. All the analytics happen when you want to search the data. So that way, you don't have to know what you want to know. Like uh, you get the intelligence out when you run the searches and whatnot. And so, um, where we see it fitting mostly is uh, almost everybody has data that they'd like to get in one of these other tools, but based on pricing or whatnot, they're they're having to drop some on the floor. Um, and so we're we've seen a lot of it resonate with some people where we can come in and all of our anytime anybody uses Gravel, we always do an unlimited data because we. I mean, we could rant about this for maybe a few minutes, <laughs> but I fundamentally don't believe that when you're when the nature of your tool is data, you should be able you should be ingesting as much as possible, and billing on that seems stupid, yeah. uh, frankly. And one of the one of the big issues is a lot of people are leaving data on the floor, or data in storage, and it hamstrings your attempts to do anything. If you have a blue teamer who knows that there's an issue in this area but they can't pinpoint it, if you 90% of your data is not being used because you can't afford to pay to put it through the pipeline or you don't have a tool that will help it, you're not doing anything. And so you're, you're actually spending more time trying to put out these fires instead of, you know, determining what's going on and being able to better focus your abilities. Um, and it just, the flexibility allows people to turn on the fly. Like if you discover something, you can turn on the fly and just search that. Like it's not, okay, I need to build up something completely different and go back. And it allows you to re-go through data in, in, you know, almost instantaneously. And I, I've seen some solutions that, that started to offer this, where and they were more of like a data warehouse, where you had the data and they just presented an API to you. Is that what you guys do, or do you have a full, uh, a full interface? Stack. Yeah, we're full stack. We built the whole thing up from the from the ground to uh, to be able to do all the analytics that go with it. Um, we're written in uh, for the nerds out there. We're written in uh, GoLang uh, that was chosen for massive concurrency and trying to make sure that we take advantage of all the hardware that's available that you want to use to search your data. Um, and so uh, it's been it's been pretty good to see uh, people taking in that data. So we, we're on more on the hunt side, and so we work we do work with other tools. Like if you've got bro logs or you've got some indicators uh, that are watching threat on the threat side of things, and then you see some some sort of tip comes in that says, "Hey, I need to investigate this problem." That's where you would turn to Gravwell and say, "Let's look at the actual data and what does the data 
say and how do we get intelligence out of that. All right, so if, if I'm a viewer out there and I want to learn more about Gravel, I, I want to maybe see about deploying it, what does a deployment look like? Is it just a software package we download or you do appliances? Uh, that's actually one of the great parts about uh, Go as well, is you've all got statically linked binaries, so the dependencies are super easy. So we can do on-prem uh, very easy. You can uh, We've got Docker containers deployed to the cloud. Uh, we're super flexible in, in that sense. So one of the uh, one of my background is in industrial control systems, and I don't know if you know much about that space, but uh, rightfully so, they're a little bit paranoid, and they keep their they keep their fence up and their isolation, right? So uh, we need to be able to have a tool that could sit in there without having to call home without having to do some stuff. So, it, so it'll run in an isolated environment, but then we also have customers who use it in uh, you know, EC2 or, or wherever. All right, and, and Leah, I want to put you on the spot because every time I've talked to a data engineer, the one thing I've learned is that while, while the career, it doesn't necessarily sound like the most exciting thing, hey, I sift through a ton of data, every data engineer has at least one really cool story where you were able to see something that other people weren't able to see. So uh, messing with large data sets, what, what would you say is, is like the coolest thing that you've been able to notice? Oh goodness, um, uh, so far at least working with uh, Gravel has been the FCC comments. Just seeing seeing that bear out, um, I have a background in education and just watching, um, watching people attempt to ran through a bot, you can see them testing it and you can see them not doing such a good job. And so then they retest it, and then they test it a third time, and then you see the massive spike. So you can actually see the thought process. Looking at the data, you can see this thought process. Okay, I fucked this one up, sorry, screwed this one up. Um, and so I need to rewrite this. Well, I'm gonna put it through. I totally messed up this entire bunch of code. I need to rewrite it. And I mean, you just watch the thought process happen. And it's really interesting. Um, and you can kind of see where they've screwed up in large ways, like there's Unicode characters that shouldn't be there, you know, and just watching this whole thing unfold. It's been really entertaining and, you know, a lot of people think data is boring, but it's, for me, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's just this exciting world that you didn't know existed. I know that there's entire like subreddits that are based around big data and really cool stuff that's out there. And it's almost like profiling a serial killer or something, yeah, right? It's, it's very much that way. Um, and we, we were able to find this one person writing this bot um, program and we were able to see of it you know I was thinking he's probably not paid as well as some of the other bots that, because he's not doing as good of a job but it was just you know it was fascinating yeah, bot, bot herders are not immune to bugs just yeah. like everybody else yeah. um, but it's, it's interesting that, so we um, that, that particular story did make it up on reddit but yeah. one of the things that we are ingesting if you want to talk about scary data yes. is we're ingesting all of the comments off of reddit so we make all those available yeah. uh, in, in internally and we're searching that for interesting yeah. stuff there's, uh, there's really weird things that come out of that. Yeah. Um, just in the flexibility is really interesting because the flexibility of the tool lets you just look at stuff that are not necessarily security related. Um, there was a look at the Mayweather McGregor fight and how opinions change during the fight uh, <laughs> drastically. <laughs> and you can just follow things like that. And um, just if you get on the beta and want to look at how the political climate is. The the political subreddits that you poke through with Gravel are insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. it's been pretty interesting. So so we it, the applicability of the tool is is great for all data. So we've got DevOps customers, we've got security customers. Obviously, this is a security conference, so yeah. that's uh, that's what we're talking about while we're here. But we've got uh, we've got people using it for all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it's it's pretty cool that way. Awesome. Well, for our viewers, if they want to learn more about the product or maybe even get on the beta, where, where should they go? Where can they learn more? Yep. So you can hit up our website, uh, gravoil.io. 
um, and we've got some blog entries that are pretty good there. Uh, we're trying to, you know, create more use cases, do interesting stuff like yeah. FCC, the Mayweather-McGregor fight, uh, cool stuff like that, seeing data. Um, and you can uh, also drop uh, drop me an email directly or Leia. Um, and uh, if you're interested in trying it out, you know, we're we're uh, we're excited to to have more people try it out and, and see what comes out of it. Awesome. Well, I thank you guys for spending time with us. I know our viewers appreciate it too, and you've got a, a really interesting product. I'm curious to see how it goes and, and learn more about it as time goes on. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you very much. All right, another great interview, Don, there. And, and that one really, I, I was just looking through them briefly in the beginning to kind of figure out what we were going to talk about in some of these interviews. And I just sat there and, and watched that entire thing end to end and just... That was so cool. I want to I want to get those guys on here for a little deeper dive. Yeah, and, and no promises, but I actually twisted their arm a good bit about coming down here to Florida to our studios to film because I think big data is so fun, right? When you have a huge amount of data, that the information you can extrapolate from is really cool, and they're giving you the tools to do it, and it was super easy to use. So it, it's a neat product. I have no idea how much it costs, but it uh, looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say big data doesn't sound fun all the time, but <laughs> when you see an example like that where you go, okay, here's a practical application and I, I can follow, you know, how how they went through this process, how they figured this out, and uh, you know, it's really inter interesting to see. And you can, and your your brain starts thinking of all the other places you could use data like that to to figure things out. But um, so let's uh, jump on to the next one then. And, and this one also caught my eye for being something pretty cool. So so Larry Pesci uh, talked. Uh, well, we had a chance to talk with him, but he also did a, a talk at the show, and he was talking about using FM. For data exfiltration, what, yeah. what does that mean? All right, now, it, most of you guys more than likely already know Larry Pesci. He's a co-host on Paul Security Weekly. He's, uh, you know, uh, one of the leaders at InGuardian. So he is uh, a field penetration tester and, and a, a, just a security analyst. Really, really, really intelligent guy that's always thinking outside of the box, right? Always finding some way to break in uh, to a network or to data to get ac access to things that other people haven't thought of. And he and some of the other team members at InGuardian's came up with a really neat idea. Now, when I when I went hunting for Larry, I I just knew he was going to be there and I wanted to interview him because he's, he's always entertaining. I had no idea that they were going to launch this. And so um, so when I see it here in the interview that we're going to show, it was the first time I was hearing about it. But really cool idea that they could take, um, you know, some kind of a, a pen testing box, like a, a, a Pony Express, and they could stick that into a, a company and start harvesting data and then exfiltrated out using FM radio because nobody monitors for FM radio. It's just shocking. So they not only thought of it, they they made a way to do it. They created the protocols. They created the way to handle and transmit the data and, and were able to prove that they could do it. And it's a whole new way of getting data outside of the company. And and that's the point of it, right? To, to be able to get that data out without anyone, like you said, no one's looking for that. So I, the point you bring up in the interview, and we'll see in a second, is, is how slow that's got to be over FM. But if no one's looking for it, you could sit there receiving that signal and Absolutely. never be found out. Yeah, and, and most attackers, that's when they get discovered, mm -hmm. is when they're trying to get the data out. People say, like, what's all this extra data moving? And yeah. they get spotted. So here's a way to do it without getting caught. That's how it is in all the movies when the little progress bar is going <laughs> and they're waiting to take the USB key out. That's when the police come in. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this interview. Oh, and before we do, we should mention again that this was also when Dead Weird was going on in Deadwood, South Dakota. And, uh, and there were some costumes as a result. So enjoy this interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to IT Pro TV's coverage of Wild West Hack and Fest 2017, coming at you live from Deadwood, South Dakota. I'm Don Pizzette, and the, the man next to me probably goes with no introduction, but I, I managed to rope in Larry Pesci to come and talk with us. And, it wasn't and, hard to rope me in. <laughs> you were easy to spot, if nothing else. Yes, very true, very true. So, Larry, uh, I know, well, actually, uh, 
I know you because I've met you. We've, we've done uh, uh, talks on Paul Security Weekly and a few other places. And, and for those of you that watch uh, Paul Security Weekly or Hack Naked News, you, you've seen Larry. But for the viewers that don't know you, can you introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. So my name is Larry Pesci. Um, day job, uh, I'm Director of Research and Senior Managing Consultant at a small company called in Guardians, uh, where we do all sorts of pen testing type services and associated stuff. Uh, but I'm also the co-host of the long-running Paul Security Weekly. We've been doing that for 11 years and, uh, quote, a personality in the security <laughs> community. So, uh, yeah, we've been we've been doing that for a long time and we have uh, have a blast doing it. And, yeah, that's, that's sort of who I am. All right. And, you know, the, the next question that kind of has to, to go after that is, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your outfit? Because it's not your standard pen tester garb. Yeah, absolutely not. So uh, it's uh, it's Saturday at Wild West Hacking Fest, and we were very much encouraged to dress up in costume uh, here in Deadwood, South Dakota. It's also uh, the Dead Weird celebration for Halloween, and there's big costume contests and all that type of stuff. So this was today, so we had to do it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is my most challenging interview of the day, because I, I always try and look my, my interviewee <laughs> in the eyes, and Larry actually has an extra set of eyes on his head, <laughs> so, so I guess I can't go wrong here. But All right, let, let's get back to security. I know that you, you gave a talk here at the conference, and, and we had travel delays, so we missed yesterday. We didn't get to see the talk, so can you tell us a little bit about what, what your talk was? Yep, absolutely. So uh, my intern, Galen, and I uh, put together a tool that we dubbed uh, Vapor Trail after one of the My Little Pony characters. Uh, and it is uh, uh, arguably the world's first uh, data exfiltration tool over FM radio. Wow. So with inexpensive hardware, a Raspberry Pi and a piece of wire, uh, we implemented uh, FM radio broadcast uh, to be able to exfiltrate data with our own custom digital mode to be able to support all the problems with the Raspberry Pi doing those types of transmissions from error correction to compression to reliability and all that stuff. Uh, to be able to be received with a $25 on the high expensive side software defined radio, decode that data and now you have data that you're pushing out of an environment. And for us, part of the reason we wanted to do this was our customers are getting much better at finding data leaving their network. We need to find a way to get data out of a network that folks aren't looking for. And there are very few organizations that are actually looking for data being sent over FM radio because quite honestly, we're the first. Now, I, definitely, I haven't heard of anybody else doing it, and I kind of wonder, like, what, what data rate are you able to achieve over <laughs> FM? Because it's normally a unidirectional method, yeah. right? So this is very much unidirectional. Uh, as part of that unidirectional method, we had to come up with all sorts of uh, different stuff to fix that problem for error correction and you know, blocking and you, you name it. Uh, but the data rate is not terribly great. It's about 2,000 baud. And easily half of that is overhead for all of our packetization and all of our error correction and you name it. So we're at roughly a thousand baud. Uh, we're working on ways to get that a little bit better. Uh, but still, the data that we wanted to get out was really small. And you know we're talking about 64 hex characters. At 2,000 baud, even a thousand baud, well worth it. Well, you know, I think back to the BBS days. I, I had a 9600 baud modem, or even the lower, even at, at like a, a 300 baud modem or 1200. You, yeah. you could, you could, you could play games. You could, yeah. you could communicate a lot of good information that way. Yeah. 
Now, what, what kind of, of range are people seeing on that? If you set up a transmitter, let's assume that you had wall power, right? So you're not trying to run on a battery. Uh, how, how far away can that signal reach? Sure. So uh, we haven't actually tested how far we can get it, uh, but it's based on some fairly standard uh, Raspberry Pi stuff that's been around for a little while with RPi TX for doing FM radio transmission. Um, and we talked to a gentleman that was using RPi TX just to do broadcast FM radio audio. Um, and in a metropolitan area, uh, he was up on, say, the 20th floor, uh, dangled a little wire off of his balcony, and he was able to cover three city blocks Wow! with some line of sight. So uh, we figure we can probably get 100 yards out of the deal, and, and that's really good. Uh, the part with our design, it's modular. So if you were to take another Raspberry Pi and another software-defined radio, you can create a repeater. So you receive with one software-defined radio, you decode back to text, and then re-encode and retransmit and then you're doubling your, your distance. And still, on potentially on battery, and very inexpensively. Now, I know the FCC monitors for rogue radio stations, and they look at you know, pirate radio, there's yes. a lot of, yeah. usually much stronger transmitters there, easier to detect. W would this fall under the same thing as like a, you know, a Bluetooth FM transmitter? Yeah, so uh, very much on that, on that same sort of Bluetooth FM transmitter. You know, think back to, uh, and even still in my car, because it's an older car, uh, I don't have that aux jack to be able to listen to my iPhone and that type of stuff, but I have that little FM transmitter module in my car that transmits on like 107.7 uh, to the car stereo. So uh, as a consumer, we're allowed uh, to broadcast in the FM standard broadcast range, what, 88 to 108 megahertz uh, at very low power. I think it's uh, about a half a watt. And this is very much falling into those categories. And why did you choose FM instead of AM? Uh, so the, the big one uh, was being able to toggle the GPIO pin for FM radio um, was, was already out there. Uh, and doing AM with similar type of techniques is significantly more difficult. So FN was something that was readily available for us. All right, but the important thing here is it, it's not something the FCC is monitoring for. It's not something companies are monitoring for, and so it's going to go undetected, although maybe if somebody spotted the box, right, there's the, the physical side of it. Sure, absolutely. The box is potentially going to get spotted. Um, and now we're forcing folks to up their game to start looking for other alternative methods for folks uh, doing F, RF interference and RF output in their environments. So. All right, now ideas like this, they don't just come out of nowhere. I know you, you work with InGuardians, you yeah. do penetration testing. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your role with InGuardians and, and what you do, a, a, a day in the life of Larry Pesci. Sure. Sure, so it, it's it's very much, I live a, a dual life, a uh, dual role at InGuardians. I'm director of research, and uh, Vapor Trail was very much one of those crazy ideas that we came up with, and it really came out to some of our, our pen test type of stuff, in that very much the guys were in an organization, they had data they wanted to get out, and they kept getting caught by firewall, DLP, uh, stuff like carbon black from host-based prevention, and they were there, but they just couldn't get the data back to make their pen test more successful. And physical assessment was also one of the things that they could do. So they could drop a Dropbox. But now, depending on how they're going to use that Dropbox, it was either going to send over Ethernet outbound, get detected by the network. They could use cellular. But the cellular stuff is, gets kind of encumbered, uh, depending on how often you use it, based on the, the prepaid SIMs and some of those types of things. So we wanted to find another way to make that happen. And we were thinking about how can we make that happen. It was really Galen and I teaching him about some RF radio, software-defined radio stuff, and it turned into, hey, we could potentially do this over RF and do that. 
and it turned into this crazy idea, and it worked. <laughs> you know, it, it makes you think of, of all the other different uh, transmissions that we have going on that could potentially be used that same way. Uh, I mean, you've got 900 megahertz for baby monitors and things that, that could yes. potentially be used and nobody would detect. Yep, absolutely. There's so much RF energy present that is used in ways that are, you know, quote, non-standard that there just isn't any detection for. Awesome. So, um, you know, for somebody who's out there working in the field and they're, you know, they're, they're involved in security, new things are coming out all the time. Uh, and what are, what are some of the big things we need to be looking out for? So that's a really great question because there's probably so much that we need to consider. Um, me particularly, my, my focus tends to be around hardware, uh, radio, wireless, and Internet of Things. So, so very much Internet of Things type stuff is um, going to really be some focus for, for some of the things that I'm going to be looking at over the near future. Uh, they're low power, inexpensive devices that are maybe done by developers that aren't thinking about security to begin with. Yeah. All right, so if people want to learn more about all the stuff that you're doing, I know you're on Paul Security Weekly all the time, probably one of the greatest places to see you, you know, kind of divulge the information. We had the crack exploit just yes. broke last week, or you know, yep. for the public last yep, week, last week. Uh, and you've already done shows of them talking about it? Sure, yes, so I also do some instruction. I'm a certified instructor with the SANS Institute, and last Thursday we did a one-hour webcast on what you needed to know about crack. <laughs> because and, and I didn't even make any jokes about it. <laughs> I know it, it's so hard not to. You know, yeah, we it's we so covered. To, it's so hard not to crack jokes. I, I was uh, I was on Hack Naked News with Paul, and we were talking about crack, and we were talking about Raka, and it, even just saying it, you're talking about crack Raka, and it's <laughs> how do you pass up the opportunity to make that joke? You can't, and that was very much. I had to be professional on the Sam's webcast, but we did the the Paul Security Weekly podcast that after that afternoon, and then I could make the jokes because it's a little bit different venue. So. All right, well, I know I personally love the information that you put out, and our viewers do too. On a professional side, if you need help with penetration testing and other security issues, be sure to check out InGuardians. They've got a great team over there. I've met several of your team. Uh, I haven't met your intern, though. I'll have to yeah. bump into him if he's here. He apparently slept in this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take it uh, you went to the, the performance last night? Yes, yeah, it was really good, really good. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of after conference activities, which we miss thanks to American Airlines. But, uh, <laughs> so, well, anyhow, uh, Larry, I do appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. And uh, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to impart to the viewers? I think, I think that's, uh, that's about it. But if you wanted to check out the Vapor Trail tool, uh, vaportrail.io uh, will put you in the right direction in some of the presentations and slide decks, uh, as well as to the GitHub repository. And we'd love feedback. All right, Larry, thanks again. And for the viewers out there, I thank you guys for watching. Stay tuned because we've got more coverage coming up. But for right now, that wraps up this interview with IT Pro TV at Wild West Hackenfest 2017. All right, great interview. And I, and I think we can go ahead and say definitively best kilt of <laughs> yeah. the Wild West Hackenfest. Uh, oddly, I think he was the only person there in a kilt. Which yeah, which is strange. In, in South Dakota in December or November, <laughs> Whatever, whatever this is now, it, it feels like uh, kilt is maybe a, an interesting choice. I think but, you can get arrested for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, all right, so so let's uh, go ahead and jump to the last one here. Uh, we you got a chance to speak with Jonathan Ham. Who, who's Jonathan? All right, so uh, Jonathan is a SANS instructor. You know, Larry Pesci was a SANS instructor also. I think he still does sometimes. But uh, but Jonathan Ham teaches for SANS and uh, a really knowledgeable security expert. And I thought it was really neat to see him get up there because he, he talked about blue team. Everybody was red team this, red team that, and he started talking about blue team. And uh, and it was really cool because, like with Larry, Larry had this this way to exfiltrate data with FM, and nobody's looking for FM. So if you're on the blue team side of things, how do you stay on top of that? How do you 
protect your network when when these new creative threats are coming about all the time. Uh, so Jonathan had some good stuff to say about that. I won't ruin it for you. I'll leave it in the interview. But uh, just an all-around knowledgeable guy, so I was glad to get the chance to interview him. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a look at that interview from Jonathan Hamm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to IT Pro TV's coverage of Wild West Hackenfest 2017. I'm Dom Pizzette, coming at you right here from Deadwood, South Dakota. And we got a chance to talk to another one of the speakers here at the conference, John Thaham. And, uh, you know, just a, a great chance to learn a little bit more about what he had a chance to talk about earlier. Hopefully, if you're here at the conference, you've already heard him. But for those of you that missed it, here's a chance for us to catch back up. So before I get ahead of myself, Jonathan, would you, would you mind introducing yourself and telling the viewers a little bit about you? Sure, sure. Uh, my name's Jonathan Ham. Hi. Uh, I'm a security consultant and have been for over 20 years now, I think. Uh, I also teach for the Sands Institute, and I've been a certified instructor there for over 10 years. Um, I, I hack things. I pop boxes. But mostly, I'm a blue teamer at heart. So mostly I'm all about uh, defending against all the people here this week. <laughs> so you know, that's mostly it. <laughs> it. It's a shame because you know, blue team is starting to get a, a bad rap, right? Like the red team is the sexy career that everybody wants yeah, to get, but, but yeah. blue team is, is really, really important. I think it, 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 they, they need a better PR team working with blue team. I would agree with you, sir. I absolutely would. But that's, that's why it's been uh, where my heart has been all this time is because that's what we're really needing to be focused on is making sure the bad things don't happen. And not, not, to, not to dig on the red team. I mean, I pop boxes for a living, too. Uh, but but it's, you know, that's, that should be in furtherance of helping us better prepare for when the uh, people coming to break our stuff aren't ethical paid human beings but rather the kind that aren't so right. you know. yeah absolutely yeah. all right now you you got up and gave a talk earlier today and then for our viewers that may have missed it can you kind of lay that out for us and, and and let us know what you talked about yeah sure well this conference is all about stunt hacking or at least that's what it was uh, advertised as all the newest coolest ways of doing all the bad things and uh i realized that maybe we needed to talk uh, along the lines of even if you're doing all the newest, coolest ways of doing all the bad things, can a good defender still see you, track you, find you, and hunt you down and stop you? And so that's pretty much my, what my talk was about. I, I uh, had some friends of mine at Black Hills Information Security, perhaps you've heard of them. Yeah, I, I, I had them uh, actually go into their lab and do a bunch of malfeasance and record the network traffic for me and give me the network traffic for analysis. I didn't get to see what they did, I have no idea. All I got was, here's the network traffic. And the title of my talk was, I can still see you. <laughs> Even if you're doing all the cool things, I can still see you. So I walked through some very simple, straightforward ways that any blue team ought to be able to instrument their network so that they can actually see the bad things happening soon enough to respond, because that's really what it needs to be about, and to be able to respond quickly and effectively to stop the bad guys from stealing the goods. You know, it's really cool that you mentioned that, because I know one of the things that I keep hearing, and I, I think it was actually mentioned in one of the talks today, is how if you're a blue teamer, you have to be able to defend from any number of, of attacks, right? But as a red teamer, you just have to find one that works, one way, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's actually a real common fallacy that the red team has all the advantage and the blue team is so disadvantaged because, again, <laughs> we must defend everything and they only have to find one way in. But it's really a fallacy. Right up until that first box pops, yeah, the red team has all the advantage. I can't keep you from breaking into my stuff. I can't, right? You're going to pop my boxes. It's going to happen. But that's not a win for the red team. It's not a win until, and my analogy is, I live up in Montana. I have a house. I can't keep one, someone from breaking into my house. 
but they're not going to steal my TV. <laughs> right? You can break into my house, but I hear, the, I, I hear the glass break. I know where the squeaky boards are. You don't. I know where my TV is. You don't yet, right? So from the time the red team breaks into my network, if I'm at home and I'm paying attention, you've got no chance of stealing my stuff because it's my house, my advantage, my playing field. Now, I know that the way that attackers can get into a network changes frequently, right? Yep. Daily, Absolutely. monthly, whatever, it changes it must, a lot. And it does. But once they're in, would you say that the behavior is pretty much the same as it's always been? They got to do the same things. Once they break in, they've got to have command and control outbound. They got to they got to be able to talk to the attacker that made the attack successful in the first place. So there's got to be some communication between the compromise systems and whoever whoever the agent is doing the compromise. And then the system that they compromise doesn't have the data that they want. So they have to be able to move laterally within the enterprise to get to where the data is that they want to steal. They got to do it. Lateral movement must happen, right? And then the final goal, of course, is exfiltrating the data. Somehow, they got to get the data from the inside to the outside. Those three things, they got to have command and control, what we call C2, they got to have lateral movement to get to it, and they got to exfiltrate the data. All three of those things have to happen inside my house. So as a as a blue teamer, right? We need to be focused on well. We need to try and stop people from getting in in the first place. Yeah, prevention's nice. Prevention's nice to have. <laughs> Detection and response is what it's. Uh, there's going to be breaches. There's going to be breaches. But how bad any breach is going to be depends on two things: how quickly you detect and how effectively you respond. Every single time. Now, do you find that most companies are making a good balance of that? Because yeah. I know a lot of the people I talk to are really focused on prevention, and that's not necessarily the, the most effective thing. If, if you look industry-wide, 80% of resources are spent on prevention, and that leaves 20% for detection and response. It's upside down. It totally is, which is why I, I also wrote a book about this. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 this, is, this is what I live, trying to convince people that, yes, prevention's nice to have, but you're not going to prevent everyone all the time. You better be, you gotta be prepared to detect and respond, and it has to happen now, not in a couple of months, <laughs> not in the average dwell time, I think these days, like 140 days. Uh, yeah, a lot of data is getting stolen in 140 days, yeah, right? And, and we're not talking about little unfunded companies, really, like, like Equifax, where they I, are. I didn't say it, I'll <laughs> let you. Right? I'll yeah, say it, I don't yeah. care. No, I mentioned them earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll throw them under the bus, but even even Target, where yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we. have using them as an example for forever. And, yeah, for and, sure. and I've had a chance to meet several of the people that work on the teams over there. They're good, smart people. They just went a long time without seeing that that uh, data. And, and it was being exfiltrated. It was there to be detected if they yep. just took the time. And I'm sure it's different now yeah, over there. Well, and that's, that's why everything I talk about when I get to talk publicly and most of the stuff that I teach for SANS is all about how can you instrument your network so that you can see what's happening right under your own roof. Yeah, that is awesome. All right, well, for our viewers out there, do you have uh, uh, any insight on like you know this coming year? What what are some of the things that we should be focused on? And, and well, you know we, we mentioned yeah. like uh, detection and response, right? So that technology is actually advancing a good bit, especially with with newer SIEM technologies and, and so on. Yeah, but it's not it's not a problem that needs to be solved by technology. I mean, it's it's not that we need new SIMs, we need new uh, NGFWs. We need no, we need to use the technology that we already have effectively. We need to deploy uh, instrumentation sensors in all of the dark places of 
our enterprises that we can't see. I mean, the key to it is the lateral movement. If I'm doing a pen test, right, I'm going to pop a box and I'm going to start moving laterally just like everybody else does. The thing is, I'm doing it in from what my client considers the dark. They don't see me moving sideways. They don't, they don't see any of that because they're just not set up to do it. We already have every last bit of technology, even open source has grown to the point where it's just fully enterprise class for being able to detect when the bad guys are doing the bad things. What we need to do is focus our attention on better intelligence about what's happening inside our homes. That's what we need to be focusing on. So what's, what's next you're going to be like? Well, if 2017 was a dumpster fire, um, I guess 2018 is going to look like a tire fire in a dumpster fire. I, I'm not even sure. I'm, it's not fair to dumpster fires everywhere. Um, but it, it's going to continue to be this bad until, until enterprises have incentive to do what I've been preaching, which is to find a way to prioritize their budgets on instrumenting their networks, hiring the people who know how to watch the instrumentation and be alert when the bad things happen. Because the bad things aren't going to stop happening. That's one prediction I'm pretty sure I can go on the record about. Not, with no fear of contradiction. The bad things are going to happen. The breaches are going to continue. They're going to get bigger and bigger and worse and worse. And it's all because somebody messed up on my two how quickly you detect, and how effectively you respond. Yeah, and you know, it, it's easy as professionals to focus on the enterprise space, but you mentioned home, and, and home I think is important because there, there are tons of webcams and DVRs yes, yes, and things yes, that are compromised. And, Actually, there's a, there's a silent P in IoT, it's the internet of pwned things. So, <laughs> um, but it's, 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 that's gonna continue to be a real problem as well. And I wish I had better advice for small business and, and home office, honestly. Um, I really don't. My, my entire career has been focused on very large-scale enterprise. So, yeah. uh, and so, that, that's you know. where the, they have the funding for it. You know, a, a user yes. at home isn't going to run a seam, and the, if, even if they did, there's no reason you can't <laughs> go out and download Security Onion, get a get a $300 x86 box, slap it on there with two NICs, and deploy it. it it's 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 totally doable. Uh, totally doable for IT people, but not like my mom. Yeah, yeah no, my mom's <laughs> not going to do that. No, no, my mom needs someone like me to help. And I don't help as much as I should, probably. So I, I, I think we'll, we'll probably start seeing increased pressure on ISPs to do this, and that's not necessarily a great solution either. No, so not, it's a slippery it's not, slope. No. I, I think it, it's it really, you could, <laughs> my OSI, OSI seven layer model, and maybe that's a little <laughs> bit deep here, but it's, it's, not about, it's not about TCP IP, it's not about session layer, it's not about TLS, it's not about the application layer, it's about the human layer above it, what I call layer eight, not just me, but what we all call, call layer eight. Yeah, it's, we, we say it's, it's, okay, it's layer eight and layer nine problem, and, and until layer nine focuses on the right budget in the right place, and that means getting layer eight the training that they need, because it's, it's, we're failing not for products, we're failing for process and training and people, that's where we're failing, which is why I spend so much of my time teaching rather than consulting in the last few years because consulting's fun and good, um, but the problem everywhere that I see is there's just we need more people with more skills and more training, and, and that's, that's why I'm here. Too. Awesome, and I know we appreciate you being here. And you, you, know, you mentioned you, you you teach with SANS. You've been a certified instructor with them for a long time. Uh, you also do your own training as well, correct? I, I used to teach at Black Hat. Most of the training that I do now is at SANS, um, and and I'm probably going to continue doing cons like this. Um, just any anywhere I can get the word out. And uh, my dear friend uh, John Strand has convinced me to write a second book. So that's. I'll, I'll, I'll push it out there that way if I have to, too. Hate writing, but I guess that's 
Somebody phone my publisher and let them know I've already decided <laughs> to write volume two. Oh, there we go. Uh, be sure to look they out for that one. They don't know yet, right? I seriously, I just announced it down the hall for the first time like a couple hours ago. <laughs> five beers from now, this book idea is gone. But right no, now, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was five beers in that it came up that I said that I agreed. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well. Uh, for those of you that haven't heard of, of Jonathan before, be sure to reach out there and, and you know, it, why don't we plug your book? Because your book is okay, still yeah, on sale. Network Forensics, uh, tracking, uh, tracking Hackers Through Cyberspace. Um, the next one will be Volume 2, I Can Still See You. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I'll keep up with all the latest advances in red team technology and, and tools and techniques and, and tactics and procedures. But uh, yeah, that's, that'll, be, that'll be out at some point. And you can find me on the Twitterverse at jhamcorp. So. Awesome. I appreciate you spending time with us. I know our viewers do too. And uh, before we wrap up, do you have any parting words for the crew out in, in the uh, internet world? Um, just keep fighting the good fight. <laughs> good, good advice. And, and keep your back. Bring a bucket of water to the dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that wraps up another IT Pro TV interview here from Wild West Hack and Fest. Feast stay tuned is what I'm trying to say uh, because we will be back with more coverage right here from Deadwood, South Dakota. All right, thanks for that interview. And I think it's interesting after we had the, the talk with Larry to then say, oh, you're doing all these cool stuff. And then, then you've got John saying, well, I, I can still see you. So as, <laughs> as, as cool as that was, I, I still know you're there. Yeah, yeah you know, as long as you take the steps to do that, right? Somebody's got to be watching. Otherwise, people can walk into your network. You'll never know they were there. And, and they're just constantly sapping your data. away. You've got to be on the lookout for that. I, I just thought it was neat to hear somebody finally say, look, attacks, penetrations, they're, they're going to happen. Somebody's going to break in. Your responsibility is to know that it happened, that you might not be able to stop them all the time. Odds are you won't be able to stop them all the time. So the next best thing is to make sure that you, you've got a plan B, you know, an incident response, and a lot of companies don't. Yeah, it's just like a security system at home. You you know, part of that is a deterrent to know that, yes, I have this. It's going to make noise, and it's going to call the police, but it's there because that's going to happen at some point, and, and it's there to make sure that you're protected in the case that that does happen. But that was some awesome interviews. I know uh, we've got, I think, one more podcast where we've got some interviews of, this is kind of the one where we, we had some interviews. We said, we don't really know where to fit these. So it's the potpourri miscellaneous category <laughs> in Jeopardy, basically. But um, I think that was some really cool tech uh, that, that we just had a chance to see. And um, and definitely, you know, we'd love your feedback on what you thought was the coolest stuff. And especially if you were there, too, we'd love to hear um, things maybe that you saw that, that we didn't. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. Like we said in the past, be sure to go ahead and like us, share it, tell your friends, subscribe. That really helps us out. But definitely, uh, you know, hit those reviews and uh, let us know what you think. But, uh, Don, thank you very much for joining us again. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Any final thoughts? Any final no, words? Just, uh, you know, if you have a chance in 2018, make sure you go to Wild West Hack Fest. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it's sure to only be bigger and, uh, and even more polished. But like you said, it was an amazing event, especially for a first-time thing. So definitely check that out next year. But thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time on the IT Pro TV podcast.